Hi, I'm Tyrone Hyde, the CEO of Washington Brown, and welcome to my new podcast series called 10 with Ty. If you want to learn what this podcast series is about, there's an introductory podcast you can download from all good streaming services. I'd like to dedicate this podcast to Sonny Dave, who was an editor who died during the making of this podcast. Rest in peace, Sonny Dave. I miss you. Welcome to the first episode of 10 with Ty. I'm very excited about this project that I'm launching into. Um, and then my special guest tonight, the first guest I have, is Steve Polisi from Polisi Property. Steve's actually written two books. Hey, he's got copies of them. That's awesome. <laughs> I do actually have them. Residential Property Investing Explained and Commercial Property Investing Explained. Um, so what I like about Steve, he's not just a residential property buyer, he's also a commercial property buyer. And if you ask me, the commercial property buying space is a lot more technical. Um, so it is that next level. Now, before we get into the 10 with Thai questions, Steve, just a little bit of background um, about yourself. I believe you're in London. You're about to have a baby. Is that right? 28th. So it's coming pro- coming pretty soon. What are we, April 5th at the moment? So what's up? Seven weeks away. How exciting. So you're in London. You're buying properties all around Australia. Um, what's that been? How's that been for business? How have you, how have you managed that, et cetera? Surprisingly, it's actually helped my business. So I, I actually yeah. came over here with the premise of just like probably taking on less clients, but just enjoying myself a little bit. But mm. I've actually opened up another window chatting with people. So like normally when you do the nine to five and you play phone tag with the clients because they're busy at work and things like that, I'm now available from 2 p.m. till midnight. So anytime I offer people 2 p.m. till midnight, they actually choose 5, 6, 7, 8 p.m. because they want to get at home, have their partner on the phone or put the kids down or have a bit of a chat later. So it's all the, like open up another window of chatting to people, which is really, really cool. The other benefit is it's actually forced me to run my business like a business. Where in Sydney, I was running around with a chicken with my head cut off. Now I actually have to trust my employees and have firm yeah. structures in place to kind of get it moving. So it's weirdly enough, it's actually improved my business. We're growing like the last year, we've got 10 staff now. So it's doing really well. And again, it's part of that having good like systems, processes and things like that. Well, I can certainly relate to that, Steve. As you know, my wife and I went to Bali and lived in Bali for a couple of years before COVID. If you ask me, one of the true tests of running a business is if you can run it remotely. When I was about 22, I was a seminar junkie. And I just saw a guy one time by the name of um, Brad Sugars. And he was on stage. He really started that Action International coaching franchise business. Um, he said something like, if you've got to go to your job or your business, if you've got to go to your business every day at 6 o'clock in the morning, get home at 7 o'clock at night, you don't have a business, you've got a job. You know, it's a job, right? It, it's even yeah. worse, Tyron, because what happens is you actually can't have a holiday because you have to turn up. Like, Absolutely. I remember when I first started, like, you go on holidays, but you still have to check your phone every bloody two hours but just mm. to kind of keep the wheels moving. So, yeah, like you said, but carry on. And so what I'm doing with this podcast is, you know, because I've done pretty well over the years and I'm hoping to leave something for my daughter, um, a book that, you know, I'm going to go around and ask the smartest people I know these 10 questions. The 10 questions I'm going to ask you, Steve, are going to be timeless. They're not questions like, where would you buy now? They're a bit, hopefully, made you think a bit more. And um, so I just wonder, are you ready to play 10 with Ty, Steve? Yeah, definitely. I love this concept as well, like I mentioned. Like I told my partner, and because obviously we're expecting a kid soon, like her straight away, her brain was like, that is a brilliant idea. I'm looking forward to it. So more excited than me running a business, she was more excited over this. Oh, that's really sweet. Thank you for being encouraging and thank you to your partner for being encouraging. I really appreciate it. Anyway. Um, it's time to play Tim with Ty. Are you ready? Okay. Let's. Uh, I've got a buzzer here. I'm going to press. <laughs> 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 
Okay, question number one, Steve. What has been your best investment? All right, so my, my best one was my first property. So I bought a, a little house in Blacktown, which is just another suburb next to where I grew up in Wentworthville. Very low socioeconomic, but it was 230 grand. Like that was in, this is in 2012. So it was my first one. It was all I could afford. I was like just out of university as an engineer and could just afford that, got into the market. The reason why it was the best one for me was firstly, I got into the market quickly. So like, Markets grow long-term. So like it, that was the springboard and the seed that let me kind of grow my whole portfolio because it went up from 230 to about 300 grand in the first year and a half. And I was just like, bloody hell, like that's like five years worth of working on the salary I'm on and I've just made it from signing a piece of paper. So it was the, the big light bulb moment for me. It was just like got in early, stuck to the fundamentals, had a good outcome, and then that's where I've based my whole portfolio on. And Steve, do you still have that property? I actually still got it. I'm actually in the start. I probably should get rid of it. It's done its cycle. It's probably at the end of its cycle for now. Um, but again, that this nostalgia one, I like that. It, I'll probably keep it forever if I'm honest. I just like the, the sentiment of that's where it all started. Question number two, what has been your worst investment? All right. So my, my worst investment was probably my best buy in quotation marks. So what, what I mean by that is, so I, I actually bought, I think it was number three in my portfolio. I bought an apartment in Cairns. For thirty thousand dollars, one bedroom apartment, thirty thousand dollars, rented for one hundred and eighty dollars a week. So on paper, I'm like, it's brilliant. I've just got myself end up being like one hundred twenty dollars a week after you pay body corporate fees and stuff like that. So I've got myself one hundred twenty grand, one hundred twenty dollar passive income per week from buying this. The reason why it was my worst buy was I had to pay cash for it. So actually, at the time I had like a, a fairly new Subaru Liberty, which was my little kind of project car. And I remember finding that property. I looked at the car and went, sorry, car, you got to go. I've got this thing that could actually pay car repayments instead and I could transition later. So I bought that, but because the banks wouldn't lend to it, I had to use cash. But I, I also wasn't at the end of my serviceability with the lending with banks. So I put about, about 35 grand into it because like stamp duty, legals, all that type of stuff. However, if I put that 35 grand into say like another Blacktown one, like my first one and leveraged it to 200, 300 grand, now that would be worth six hundred, seven hundred thousand, and I would have made much bigger return. I'd have less, slightly less cash flow, but it's about leveraging for me. So it was the wrong property at the wrong time. I, I shouldn't have bought it. I didn't do badly for it, but I, I learned leverage is your friend. Like that's how you make the real money: is you play with someone else's money and you leverage your dollars. It was just headache after headache, and headache. However, I tell people I can put up with headaches if it's making you money. Like I get a lot of investors that are like. They, they want to get rid of a property because they're like, oh, it's always cost me maintenance, blah, blah, blah. But they might have made $200,000 from the property, but they're whinging about the $2,000 maintenance each year. And like mm -hmm. that's, that's a small issue. But again, it was just I should have leveraged. It was just wrong property, wrong time. I think there's something to be said for not thinking that because the property is so low priced that it's a good investment. I, um, one of my worst investments was a property in the UK. A client came in and he... He was buying these properties for about thirty thousand pounds and getting a pretty good return. Like I was like ten percent a lease, and I thought, "Good, I better get on this uh, bandwagon." So I did. I used his uh, buyer's agent up there, and it was hope. The the property was in the middle of nowhere. It's like, why did I do that? I just thought, you know, a pen and paper it looked good, but you know, I think there's something to be said. You know, where where some people say, "Oh, don't buy a property close to your home." You know, golf up. There's also something to be said. It's, that about the fact that don't buy property, we have no idea what the area is like. 
That was my lesson. I had a friend with the exact same thing, but in America, he went and bought an IHO um, and like same thing, $30,000, $40,000 houses a year, good rent out of, but he's like, to collect the rent, you have to send someone around with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Can We Tie is brought to you by Washington Brown, the property depreciation expert. Number three, what has been the most valuable investment advice you've ever received? All right, I, I like this question. Uh, mine's probably no one becomes financially free from working. So so what, what I mean by that is can't work on a per hour basis. You can't have to turn up at seven and work till seven. Like that's, that's not financially free. So you're either going to need a a business that actually works for you, like you don't work in the business, or a salary job where you fund the investments that will make money while you sleep. So so that's mine. No one becomes financially free from working. You know, my brother-in-law said to me when I was younger, he said, Ty, you'll never become rich working for someone else. And that makes sense to me. Yeah, sure, you could become the, you know, the CEO of the NAB or Macquarie Bank, but really, what are the odds? But again, still working for an hour, so you're still going to put that money to something. Yes, they could probably save a huge nest egg and then retire and live off that nest egg and whittle it down, but they're still going to make smart investing decisions. Now, I'm really curious about this question with you because you know, you've got the skill set of commercial and residential property. So what I want to know, is what, if you had your ideal portfolio mix you know, of commercial, property, residential, shares, crypto, whatever you're into, um, what would be your kind of ideal portfolio mix, Steve? Yeah, so I'm I'm obviously a property lover, but that's that's in my wheelhouse. That's where I've read I've read hundreds of books on it. Listen all the podcasts. That's where my skill set is. It's not in those other ones like shares. Obviously, if I was an expert at shares, you can make a lot of money from that. But I I obviously love property being the majority one in that kind of asset because it's it's tangible and it's a finite resource. So yes, you can buy shares that are have a certain product at the finite resource, but they're not making any more land. We've all heard this before. So like we've literally had like wars over land for thousands of years like people want land so if you can own a big portion of it you're going to be right long term but but to answer your question like my my probably perfect mix would be like have property as a background so tangible necessity of life asset the other one would be business like we mentioned before running a business and being able to effectively still make money while not being in the business and then i'm not a huge fan of shares like certain ones yes but most of the shares at the moment that do really well don't actually have a product. Like they're like Spotify's and Amazon's and stuff like that, where overnight could be bought out, switched, changed, new technology, et cetera. So I'd, I'd focus it on the tangible type of shares. Uh, and then the other one for me is probably owning a couple other types of businesses. So get, get like, I don't know, a dentist or some kind of necessity type businesses and have a mix that way as well. So that way all my eggs aren't in my own business. Yeah, look, I tend to agree. Shares have a place, if you ask me. They have a place in my portfolio. Um, Something I wish I didn't. Um, but you know, the one thing I believe in is investing in yourself. You know, how 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 much can you really change Commonwealth Bank's share price by by, by opening a new account? Um, but you can certainly change a property um, add value to it. So yeah, I guess invest in yourself would be one of my mottos. Well, so that's one reason I like property as well. Once you bought it, you like unless you're doing a value add, you're not you're not checking it every day to see it's all right. Like that's you'll true. check it every six months to check the value, but I remember I used to be an engineer. Some of the guys there would have like $20,000 in shares and they'd be on it every day looking at the price. You, you constantly can access the, how, how much it's moved that day, you know. I'd be up all night. I couldn't sleep sometimes. I'd be watching, waiting, you know, what did the NASDAQ do today or sitting there on Comsec, refreshing, refreshing. Like, what for? Go educate yourself. And that's, 
that's probably one of the things I find with shares is probably people will educate themselves. I'll listen to thousands of podcasts, read books, read articles. Shares, they're not spending the same amount of hours. They kind of read an article here and there and they kind of do it. Or they trust someone to invest the money for them, which is also known. And I know I'm saying that effectively as a buyer's agent, but my general rule with real estate even is never trust anyone in real estate. Like educate yourself, pay for a service. If you want me to go find you a good property because Mm -hmm. you're time poor or you don't have the education, things like that, that's fine. But you you must understand it. Otherwise, you're just trusting someone else with your wealth. Here's a quote for your daughter. No one cares about your financial future as much as yourself. You know, I love that. That's very true. No one will care about your financial future as much as yourself. Very true, Steve. Taylor, if you're watching this in the future, write that down. It's a very true statement. Anyway, question number five, Steve. Um, Let's say you're 20 years old, you've worked at Macca's for a couple of years and you've saved 20 grand. How would you advise yourself to invest that $20,000 today? This is actually my favorite question because it's obviously it was me, was me when I was 20 years old and I actually had about 20, 25 grand for that first Blacktown property that I bought. So I'm going to answer this in two, two ways. So option one, option one is if you can leverage that 20 grand and get a property that hits the fundamentals. So it's still going to have like affordability, population growth, good infrastructure, livability scores, et cetera, et cetera. Go into, go into residential property, leverage up as much as you can, 80, 90%, get into something because You've got time on your side. You've got 45 years before official retirement, that is. Um, so that's going to be fine long-term. The other option, which is also something that I probably should have done as well, is don't buy a property. Go start a business. So learn, learn some life skills in terms of running a business, sales, making money. Like I don't care what it is. Just go out and try to make $1. So put in, put in some money and try to make $1 profit. Then once you've made $1 profit, try to make $10 profit and et cetera, et cetera. And like, don't, don't be afraid to fail. Like if you lose $20,000, you're going to absorb that pretty quickly over the next five years with your salary increases and your job and things like that. So for me, I, I regret not starting a business sooner and becoming financially literate with running a business. Yeah. Don't be afraid to fail. I like that. Um, yeah. So this is probably the only question I think I have a definitive answer for, you know, like um, I think at the end of this, when I've done about 20, and I'm probably planning on doing one, some, one a month, so a bit while. Um, I'll probably get my wife to interview me. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to have the same answer for this one. So probably like the one that I'm going to give away. So I reckon if I'd advise my daughter, 20 grand, she had 20 grand, to go and travel, to go overseas, go to Europe for a year and try and live on that $20,000 for one year without hassling your parents money. I'm not to say that she doesn't need to be up her money. You'll learn what your passion is as well. You'll start to like, like learn what things you like and don't like and see niches in markets. I did that, what you were saying during university. So university, every three month holiday at the end. So I did a five year engineering degree. I went away for, so I've done now 50 plus countries and I, I did a distant little three month stints. So I could still work and do university, go away. Um, again, obviously regret doing the gap years and stuff like that, but you got to draw the line somewhere. All right, let's flip it. Let's say on a number, number six, let's flip it. So let's say you're now, you're 50 years old. You've, um, your both parents have sadly passed away and you've been able to, and they've let you inherit it, say $500,000. How would you advise yourself to invest that money? Um, because we can't advise other people, not financial advice, but how would you advise yourself to invest that money as a 50-year-old, Steve? Yeah, so I like this because it's juxtaposed to the 20-year-old where you've got lots of time on your side, where you've got the spare 25 years. You've ideally got like maybe 10, 15 years before you want to retire. So like you said, it, it's going to come down to your risk profile. Obviously, you've got, you've got less opportunity to make mistakes. 
If you make a mistake, there's less time to make it up. But I'd, uh, if you're looking to build a passive income, I would leverage it as a commercial property. But again, you've got to assess the risk for the individual kind of client. But I'd put it into a really low risk like commercial property. So 500K, well, you can leverage that into about a 1.5 mil commercial. So either buy like a multi-tenancy kind of commercial, like a whole whole block of like warehouses or retail strip or something like that. All, all three little 600K ones or 2750K ones, for instance. So you're diversifying the locations and assets. And then over the next 15 years, do a pay down strategy. So pay them off, be completely debt free when you're 65, and then you'll have about 100K passive income. So you, you can do the similar strategy with residential. However, it's a lot harder to pay off 15 in 15 years, and you won't have anywhere near the same passive income. You'll probably have a third to half the passive income. So you can you can choose the strategy based on kind of your risk profile. I guess some people are scared of commercial probably though, are they? they don't, there's not as much information about it up there, is there? There wasn't information on it. Like I, I wrote my book because there was zero books on the market. Like there was nothing, that, there was no commercial podcasts or articles. It was kind of left to the high net worth investors or business owners, but that's that's changed now. Like I've, I've sold what, 10,000 of my books. So like people are getting well-versed in commercial, which I think means like, There'll be less risks in it because people are going to have the wool pulled over their eyes. All right, let's move on. Um, question number seven, Steve. Let's say you're. Let's say you find the DeLorean and you can go back in time and and, and find your twenty year old self, Steve. Um, what would you tell yourself about investing over that you're going to experience for the next, you know, fifty years? What would you tell yourself? All right. So I've sort of alluded to it before, but time and leverage. Like you've got you've got time on your side. Like you've got lots. Lots of years ahead. And when you're that age, it doesn't feel like you've got long. Like when you're 20, you're like, oh, no, I'm going to be 30 soon. When you're 30, you're like, oh, I'm going to be 40 soon. When you're 40, you're like, oh, geez, retirement's not that far away. Like it is, you can achieve a lot. Like in the last three, actually two and a half years, I wrote two books, started a business, moved overseas, hired 10 staff. Like you can actually achieve a lot in a short amount of time. So you've actually got truckloads of time. Uh, But then the second part, which I mentioned is leverage. If you can use someone else's money to magnify your returns, that's that's bloody powerful. Like that that is where the real wealth can kind of come from. However, like disclaimer, you can also magnify your losses though. So again, like we did before, make sure you're well well educated and your your investment vehicle of choice is a low risk one as well. But um, one of one of the two I tell people for for leverage and property is here's another fun fact: in the last thirty years, every single residential property in each capital city has quadrupled in value. So if you've got 30 years on your side, you can quadruple your money and you're not putting in that whole money though because you leverage at 90%, 80%. You could like literally magnifying your things by 16 to 32 times. That's a fun fact, all right. I've experienced um, where the reverse can happen in magnification or, or leverage, you know, where especially with shares because with shares, you can borrow you can borrow less as a ratio, but the share market can go down a lot quicker and the banks can move a lot quicker and, 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 and um, what they call it, they uh, margin call you. And it's scary. And sometimes you make really good investments in that way, but when everyone's snowballing, it's just you have to either put your money in or sell stocks. Um, so that's something to be wary about with share investing and leverage, if you ask me, and I've experienced twice. If you own an investment property, then Washington Brown can help you pay less tax with an ATO-compliant depreciation schedule. Visit washingtonbrown.com.au to pay less tax today. Number eight, what legacy 
do you want to leave your family or your community, Steve? Yeah, I find this question the hardest one to answer because there's there's no right answer. I can always answer which type of property is the best property or how to invest and things like that. So it's going to be person dependent. So for me, to be honest, I just want to be known as a nice guy who had a crack at experienced life. So like for me, like I enjoy travel. Um, I enjoy like giving back. I like socializing, all that type of stuff. So I, I basically just want to like give to charity, work in the community, mentor some aspiring business owners educate people on property because that's my wheelhouse. Um, but then obviously you've got kids on the way. I just want to bring up kids with kind values. So that's that's the the basis of my answer to the question. One one of the things I always hear investors say though, like then I think this was the premise of the question as well, is a lot of people say, oh, I want to leave a financial legacy for my kids. And that's why like a lot of my clients come to me and they say, oh, I want to buy five houses because I want to leave like houses for my kids so they have a better life than I've had, et cetera, et cetera. But when people say that about kids like, most people listening and watching to this, Tyrone, uh, they're well above the poverty line. Like it's not, they're not in financial ruins. They've got a roof over their heads, got food. Their, their, their kids' norm is just going to be one level away. So then when they have kids, their next norm is going to be, oh, I want to give them five houses and they want to keep stepping up that way. Like, of course, like you want a baseline of property. So you like, you want like one or two properties where there's always a roof over your heads and you've got some financial stress taken away. But for me, it's relative. I, I don't like when people say I want to leave a financial future for my kids because, again, it's all relative. Like we are, we're a wealthy. Most people in Australia, we are a very wealthy country, and there's not many people below the poverty line. Mm. Yeah, I think this will be one of the hardest ones I'm going to answer as well. Because as you said, there's no right or wrong answer. On my discovery calls with clients, one of the kind of initial questions I asked them was, "If I just gave you five million dollars cash right now, what would you be doing?" And then that. That strips back what their real kind of goal is or what they're trying to achieve. Because most of the time it's a simple answer. It's I want to go travel the world or want to spend more time with my kids or want to work on a passion project or something like that. It's really, I'll go back to my law firm job and work 12 hours a day kind of thing. So it takes away that and you can always scale it to the person. Some people it's a million dollars, some people it's $10 million. And then that'll, that'll get the premise of what makes them happy. And then that'll guide me for if I have to build on a passive income, if they say travel the world, Cool. You can travel the world for fifty grand a year if you want. Let's let's aim for that. Yeah, I guess probably that you know having the one million or the five million goal. It's never ending, is it? Like, where do you stop and where do you start? Like, I've got one of the one of the richest men in Australia's client, Harry Trickerboff. He's been a client now for over twenty five years, and he does need the money. You now he's still buying sites that go for ten years, and he's ninety one. Money. Talk about the definition of optimism. The thing is with financial freedom, at least you've got the choice of how much you want to do it. You can be like, cool, I want to grow this nest egg of a business, but still, like I've worked from 15 countries in the last year. Like I can still do that because money is not the object. Actually, that's the goal, Steve, isn't it? Like, so I think you guys look at you and go, well, if you can run your, what, 15 countries, you said, uh, if you run your business like that, uh, I want to work with you because you've got systems in place. I would have thought it'd be, you know, about benefit. You know, these days, this is post-COVID, who goes in to see a, a, a property buyer or a quantifier, at least. It's almost like I thought it was going to be the opposite when I told people I was working from the UK. They were going to be like, oh, I don't want to work with you. Most people, they say, yep, that's exactly what I want. How Make make me have that life. And then they, they kind of mm. build trust. And also, like, do you really trust the guy who's 50 years old, who has $10 million in the bank, who's working nine till nine in the, the office in Sydney, slaving away? Like, is he really that caring of your, your future wealth if he's still squirreling away? So. I get that kind of people sense that I'm not trying to sales them. All right, up to number nine. Now, I'm not sure if we answered it, but uh, let's give it a go. 
what does success look like to you, Steve? Yeah, okay. So what does success look like like for me? Like, yeah, we sort of just answered it, but it's it's a good question. Like, I'll, I'll read it out. I'll go, I'll go over what we just said. So like, like over the years, like similar to you, as I, as I earn more money, like I thought that would bring more happiness. Like I thought once I got three properties, I'd be happy. Then once I got 10, I'd be happy. Then when I got 20, my happiness was actually going down every property that I accumulated because you kind of get the, that weird thinking, feeling like, oh, I should be happy. I'm getting wealthier. But to be honest, I got more excited about my first three properties. Like that was the, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm doing really well. I'll kind of go there. Then same thing as I get wealthier and wealthier, me making 10 grand seemed like a huge deal. And I got really excited about that. Then it went to a hundred grand. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a hundred grand per year. Then get that. Now it's, it's going by a factor of 10. Like for me to be happy, I've got to make a million dollars in a year. So for the same enjoyment, I'm not getting any more kind of joy and it's, it's getting harder and harder to achieve. So mm-hmm. like for me, success just means being true to yourself. Like it doesn't have to be, it can come down to happiness. Uh, can find a passion that makes you happy. If if your passion makes you money, cool, even better. But like, what's the example? Like, like one of one of my happiest friends. He's actually a barber, so he works for six months and then he goes and travels the world for six months. So only getting six months of the year, and he's been doing that the last ten years. He's the happiest guy I know, and he's got zero investments, and he's going to be stuffed at retirement. But he's going to have a bloody good sixty years. Okay, we're up to the final question, number ten. I guess this is what a bit of the crux of what this whole podcast is about is, um, you know, leaving something for my daughter, a book hopefully that um, she can go back on or your kids. Um, and it's a big, one of the big questions is not how to lose money. How don't you lose money? And Warren Buffett is quoted as saying, um, rule number one, investing, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. But what he didn't say was how do you not lose – he didn't give us a playbook. So how do you not lose money, Steve? Un- unpopular opinion on this one, Tyron. I'm actually against yeah. the quote. I actually think – and we sort of alluded to it at the start of the conversation. You should be able to lose money in the younger years. Try things, learn from them, but you have to learn from it. Like I said, start a business, put some money in the shares, put some money in property, try some things while you've got the bank of mum and dad to fall back on and you're kind of low risk. However, but like I said – to make money, and this is what he's, I believe he's referring to with the quote, is focus on the long term. So as long as you're buying like something with a finite resource and you're playing the long term game, you might lose in the short term, but long term you'll be all right. But I've I've got nothing wrong with learning from mistakes. Like that's that's mm. how you can scale. Now I love that you turn that upside down. Now there's something I didn't tell you, Steve. There's a bonus question. Question number eleven. It's going to be. I'm going to do this to each one's um, specialization. So I've, with you, I've obviously picked commercial property. Whether you residential and commercial buyer. But there's something, whenever I want to buy a commercial property, there's one thing that's been worrying me or that I wanted to see if I could um, kind of circumnavigate or limit the downside risk of it. And that's with the second, with the option of the lease. So, say I was to buy a commercial property and it had a five plus five lease, right? For those of you who don't know, that means you have a five year beginning term and a five year option after. And the option, it's up to the tenant to renew that option, not as you, the landlord. So let's say you're in the first term of that lease, say it's only two years in. Is there any strategy or tactic that you can employ as a prospective buyer to see whether you know that tenant will actually uptake the option? You've just got to incentivize the tenant. So this is where being a good property manager or having a good property manager will come into play. Most of the time, the tenant won't want to get kicked out of the property. Like that's their bread and butter and their livelihood. They want to be there long term, but they want to get a good deal. So 
if you emotionally and financially need that security that they're going to take up an option, have a conversation with them. I've, I've done that on many properties where I've asked them to take up another lease. So say, look, we're happy to sign another five-year lease post this one. And you can offer them incentive. Say, look, I'm, instead of giving you 5% rental increases, I'll give you 2% for a few years. So that way they seem benefit there. Funnily enough, the options, uh, even though they benefit the owner of the property, they're actually for the tenant. It's for the tenant to get some form of security. They're not going to be kicked out. So like if you're, say, say it's a retail one, it's a hairdresser, they've spent $100,000 fitting it out like a hairdresser. They don't want to get to the end of the five-year lease. And then you'd be like, nah, stuff you, you're out. I'm putting someone else in. And then they've got to find up their business and move somewhere else. So most businesses want to stay there. So you just work with them, give and take. And then long-term, you can both basically reciprocate their kind of rewards. Well, that brings us to the end of 10 with Ty, or 11 with Ty. Anyway, thanks, Steve, so much for your uh, wonderful answers to the questions. Um, good luck with the baby. It's a trip that you're about to go on, and it's a wonderful trip. So how do people? How can people reach out to you, Steve? There's not that many Steve Polices, which is good, saying so this time in Steve Polices. But policyproperty.com is my website. I'm on all the socials and stuff, but I'm, I'm very responsive. So if you send me a message, I'll get back to you within a day. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the finished product. And just a quick update on the baby situation. Stephen and Lisa welcomed a beautiful baby girl named Rhea into the world. Many congratulations to you all. Can We Tie is brought to you by Washington Brown, the property depreciation expert.